The eighth and final season of the HBO series Game of Thrones debuts next month. It's so popular that it's had an effect at colleges and universities. There's actually courses in medieval studies that have increased in number and size since the show began. Here in Detroit at Wayne State, Assistant Professor Hillary Fox's specialty in medieval ethics and history is being put to the test this Thursday night at Hopcat Brewery during a talk on Game of Thrones and the real-life historical events that are tied to that show. Here's Culture Shift's Amanda LeClaire to tell you more. Professor Hillary Fox wasn't a fan of Game of Thrones until her students kept noticing that the historical figures and situations she was lecturing on were often mirrored in plot lines and themes of the popular series. Her background as a medieval ethics scholar was suddenly kind of hot. You know, how do you get people to make correct choices? And then on top of that, what do you do when ethics conflict? And like, what do you do when you're faced with those choices? And what are the consequences of, you know, kind of making a choice that is morally or ethically right, but you end up being punished for it? <laughs> you know, the consequences that come from it are pretty miserable consequences to you. Well, we see that a lot in Game of Thrones yes. series. Yes, we do. Do you have an, an example that you can think of that directly relates to the series in that way? Yes. In the sixth century, there is a kind of a Roman senator uh, named Boethius. He's in addition to being a politician, he's a philosopher, he's a scholar, and he ends up somehow being framed for treason against the emperor uh, Theodoric. Boethius ends up eventually being executed, uh, but while he's in prison, he writes what's one of the most important works on philosophy and ethics in the Middle Ages. The consolation kind of asks what we sometimes think of as big questions. That is, kind of like, why do bad people prosper? You know, why are people kind of rewarded for being awful? And what do you do when you are a good person who has been kind of trapped in this system that's stacked against you? And medieval people loved this text. It kind of asks you to imagine, you know, you are a nobleman. You're someone you know, who possesses power, but you're beneath the king. And what do you do when your king is actually really, really terrible? <laughs> Do you resist him, which is technically rebellion, or do you kind of go along with his terribleness? And you see that in Game of Thrones. That's kind of the the inst one of the instigating moments that actually predates the this, this series proper when Jaime Lannister assassinates Aaron Targaryen, the Mad King. Aaron is planning to like horribly murder all of his enemies. Uh, his council and everyone else is sort of standing there like. What do we do? This is horrible, but he's the king. And Jamie kind of takes matters into his own hands um, and stabs Aaron in the back. And this is, in on one hand, the right thing to do. But the consequences are pretty dire for Jamie personally. He becomes known as the Kingslayer. His betrayal of the king is something, you know, that people use when they're assessing his character, especially his trustworthiness. <laughs> As the look seen for 17 years and face after face, you all despise me, Kingslayer, Oathbreaker, man without honor. And of course, it also ends up leading to 
uh, the downfall of House Targaryen and the civil war that we now still kind of find ourselves in um, at the start of the eighth season. You know, how can you make kind of ethical choices when you don't know what the consequences are going to be, especially or, or even if you know that the consequence to you is going to be either like inconvenient at best or dire at the absolute worst. Power is power. So I got to ask, were there any real life historical figures that would relate to Cersei's character? Yes, there are a lot. I mean, Cersei's name actually sounds um, very much like the name of the Greek sorceress, Circe, who tries to enchant uh, the voyager Odysseus in Homer's uh, The Odyssey. That kind of comes through in the way that Circe's sort of sexual presence um, and her own personality kind of captivate not only her brother, um, but the the men in the court uh, surrounding first her husband, Robert, and then her sons. Historically, she has a lot of really interesting antecedents. Eleanor of Aquitaine is probably a really good example. Margaret of Anjou, who is the wife of Henry VI and kind of rules England during periods uh, in which her husband is very mentally unstable. Um, And she's one of the central figures in the War of the Roses. And she finds herself in this position where she's she herself, like Cersei, is not popular at all among the commoners. Um, and she ends up allying herself with very questionable figures in order to support her husband and then later her children. And Richard, Duke of York, who's one of the, the main claimants to the throne, is able to leverage this, like uh, her unpopularity against her. Um, and that is one of the things that kind of prolongs the War of the Roses. All his septons, all his septors, all his filthy soldiers, because it felt good to watch them burn. And we see very frequently some of like the most prominent rulers of the major houses, or at least the people who are in charge, in fact, if not name, aren't actually women. So I want to ask one more question. Medieval times, if you're looking at the length of human civilization, were not that long ago. Yes. But it is a different world. And a lot of the institutions that both Game of Thrones talk about and uh, people historically faced have changed significantly are not as powerful as they used to be, the church and the king. So what do you think that people who are watching Game of Thrones can learn from the medieval era in their daily lives? So I think overall, the big thing is that even though the institutions have changed, a lot of the underlying behaviors have not. I think in terms of ethics and moral choices, I mean, there's obviously the, you know, don't kill all of your wedding guests. My honor as a talik. On my honor as a stock, let him go, or I will cut your wife's throat. But more seriously, I think the big thing for me when I teach this kind of material is 
getting trying to help students realize that even though the institutions themselves may have changed or dwindled in terms of their influence, um, their legacy still lives on. And the better we understand that history and the more we understand that we are actually very connected to the medieval in terms of, for example, the way we think about men and women, the way that we think about warfare. We think of the Middle Ages as this age of sort of unrestrained barbarity and cruelty. And it was like definitely a pretty awful time. But within living memory, we have had rulers and leaders who have committed atrocities on a scale, you know, unimaginable unimaginable during that time. time. I think the big question that we have to face and the truths that we have to face as ethical actors in the modern day is reminding ourselves we can't foist all of our shortcomings as a society onto the distant past because these are shortcomings we've inherited. But it's a really inconvenient truth to borrow a phrase from Al Gore, to say that in the age of reason and enlightenment, we are capable of really unthinking and unreasoning brutality. I think we would be better off if we understood that. Oh, I'm so ready for the new season of Game of Thrones now. That was Hillary Fox. She's an assistant professor of medieval studies at Wayne State University, seeing a huge rise in popularity in those classes across the country. She'll be chatting about ethics and Game of Thrones this Thursday night at Hopcat in Midtown Detroit. The series 